This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. We are back and together again. I am Jay Bear back on the show after my crazy European vacation where my colleagues, Jeffrey K. Roars from Exact Target and Nick Cicero from XBN held down the fort. Gentlemen, thanks so much for making sure this show didn't fly apart at the seams. Nice to be back with you. Likewise, sir. Looking forward to stories and tales of Europe. I have one story and tale of Europe, Mr. Roars. Um, Our mutual friend, uh, Mike Korak, uh, the uh, senior executive vice president of uh, content and marketing agency Ethology, uh, he and I uh, and our families travel together every summer. This is our fifth summer uh, doing so. Uh, and Mike is a very smart man, but one of the highlights of our European vacation, uh, was Mike accidentally putting gasoline in our diesel minivan, uh, and killing, killing said minivan, uh, killing said minivan in the middle of rural France. Uh, and then we were then, uh, towed, uh, towed back to a small village, uh, and had no vehicle for several days. Uh, and then he and I ended up having to rent more cars on our iPhone in an airport um, in a country undetermined. It was it's like an hour long story to get into all the details, but it really started uh, with Mike accidentally killing the vehicle with the wrong type of fuel. That's usually how like an X Files episode begins. It, uh, it was killed the van, and then they ended at the chateau <laughs> where they've been. You know, there's been some sort of nefarious activities for years and years that you uncover. And, and we were at the chateau, and it's a little bit nefarious because the, the place we stayed was built in 1267, uh, and uh, remarkably good plumbing for a 1267 house. And uh, at one point in the 1400s, it was the prison and torture chamber for the entire region. So that was kind of creepy and awesome. Wow. Yeah, kind of neat. Did they give you a tour? Did they? A little bit of a tour. Yes. That information, or yes. was that freely closed? Uh, freely disclosed. In fact, there's a big sign out front in the uh, historical tour, so not not um, not swept under the rug, so to speak. Because that's that's usually how like a movie like Saw begins. Right. Exactly. That other one. Uh, My uh, daughter likes all those movies. I can't handle yeah, what's that. The one where the European students go over. Right. She just watched that the other day, and I was like, No, I'm not into that. Ah, I can't remember the name of it though. Well, well, some some smart uh, listener will will shout us out the name of that one, the European version of Saw. Exactly. Well, we're obviously glad you made it back in in, in one. Oh, hostile. And hostile, exactly. Yes, hostile, Nick. Thank you. Yes, well done. Yes. See, Nick. Nick's on top of it. <laughs> Nick is on clearly, top of it. Clearly, the lesson to be learned is don't let uh, Mike Korak put fuel into your. Among among other things, you know, let me. I, I wish you guys to back me up on this. Uh, I'm almost positive that if you're towed in the U.S., you're not allowed to ride in the vehicle being towed. Correct. That's correct. So there were seven of us and a lot of luggage, and so uh, my daughter has to use her freshman and high school French to negotiate with a tow truck driver, which in and of itself was a yeoman's effort. Uh, and so he has to tow this now dead vehicle, and so we're like, okay, are you going to take? me and Mike, and then we'll come and get a taxi and come back and get the wives and the kids. 
And he just, and so we're taking all of our stuff out of the car, you know, getting our bags and our computers. And he's looking at us like all quizzically, like, what, what are you doing? He's like, no, get in. So all of us, we just get in as if we were driving, but we were being towed. So we were towed for like an hour through rural France on a tow hook, on a tow hook, but actually in the car. It was really bizarre. Like you were up on an angle? And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole deal. The whole deal. Oh my god! Yeah, that's not safe. Like, have you seen the commentary? Yeah, yeah, we have great, we have great video of it. It's, uh, it was fantastic. We have great video. Well, speaking of uh, of Nick, not only does he know the name of uh, second tier horror movies, but he is also uh, the guest on today's Big Social Pros podcast. We interviewed Jeff a while back when Jeff's book Audience uh, came out, and congratulations, Jeff! Uh, your book Audience recently named one of the twenty five books that CMOs are reading right now. I couldn't agree more. Congratulations on that Gosh. richly deserved recognition. Uh, so Nick, who is the director of client services at Xpion, is going to be under the microscope uh, here today on social pros welcome nick why thank you it's good to be here on the other side of the mic this time. on the other side of the mic as they say in the radio business so tell us mr nick what does the director of client success do at xpion yeah so i'm actually the director of client strategy but i mean i think that the titles are, are relatively the same um so what i'm doing is working with a lot of our clients who are using xpion's products uh, I'm setting them up. I'm kind of working with their internal social media teams, um, enabling those workflows and processes of being able to bring social media to the enterprise. Um, so it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of going and, and traveling and talking with clients. Uh, it's a lot of getting down into the nitty gritty, not just the, the high level strategy, but really down into the day to day. And it's really enjoyable, to be honest with you. I mean, it's really nice to meet folks and, and learn a little bit more about social in the enterprise and how that trickles down um, to, you know, the community managers in France, for example. Is most of that work with existing clients or sort of onboarding new XPN clients and sort of giving them a sense for what the software does and, and how it fits into their overall social program? You know, I'd say today it's about 60-40 new to existing um, I, I obviously, I, I'm more of a, we have a couple other folks here working on my team in the client strategy department, and we've kind of focused on verticals. So my main vertical is the media and entertainment vertical. So working with some of our great clients like Univision or Sci-Fi or some of the other NBCU properties, Clear Channel. Um, and I'm kind of working with them and meeting with them once a week, once a month, kind of going over, checking a lot of success metrics, pulling analytics reports with them, kind of going through them. Um, working and understanding, updating them on new features. Um, but also with these new clients, I'm going in and I'm taking meetings and I'm having conversations with folks in all different areas and shapes and sizes, whether they're you know folks in ad agencies or folks in really large uh, CPG brands, kind of going all over and meeting with them and talking with them and learning a little bit more about their needs and social today. Uh, and then yes, obviously onboarding when they uh, when they do decide to come in as a client as well. So it's a lot of talking and a lot of meeting, a lot of, um, I like to call it, it's, it's almost a, a salaried consultant position. I mean, we don't really employ salespeople at Xpion. Um, we just have strategy. We have strategy teams. So we're working with folks to build kind of long-term partnerships uh, with different people, which is probably why so many of our clients have been us with for so many years, I guess. One of the things that's always interesting, at least to me, for software companies, whether it's in the social space or the content space or the email space or search or anything else in digital marketing, is is when or whether people in your role, your function, 
whether that time is billed to clients, whether it's built into a package, so it's software plus services, or whether being able to spend time with Nick every day or every week or every month is is just part of what you get if you're a good client of XFAN. How, how do you guys treat that? So, you know, without going down to the, the line item specifics, I mean, generally, um, if you sign up with XBeyond, you have a strategist and you have an account team kind of all rolled into one. Um, we have a great account management team and we have, you know, actually, we just started uh, one of our first account managers here in New York today. So we'll be excited to, to talk with him. Uh, but then we have a team of about 20 to 30 account managers down in Raleigh as well. So they're kind of dealing with the day to day with a lot of the clients, you know, going through the motions. If there's, you know, issues that they're having, if they're, they need help or training, uh, they kind of go through the process with that and, and are very close to the client. Um, I come in at a lot higher level and kind of when the, the business decision makers are coming in, when the executives and the C-suites come in and they're trying to, to prove that value um, from the tools that they're using. Uh, but, you know, for me and, and Jay, you know me a little bit probably better than Jeff does, although we've got to know each other over the past few weeks here. Um, I'm very much a, a giver, so to speak. So when I'm working with folks, no matter who they are, or what level, you know, whether they're my freelance clients or they are, you know, a large enterprise with Xbeyond, uh, I, I always want to constantly be in contact with them. So I see it as a really awesome opportunity for somebody like me to kind of be a salaried consultant. And whether I'm talking to new customers or existing customers, um, my inbox is always open. My phone lines are always open as much as I have calendar space in my day um, to have conversations with anybody about anything. And oftentimes, honestly, I'm not even having conversations about XBion with a lot of these clients. They're trying to figure out different campaigns. They're trying to you know, figure out problems that they're having with their content that's their own content, maybe not even their social content. Um, so in general, I just get to be kind of an all-around you know, thought leader, shoulder to cry on, a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything that any problems are having, trouble. You know, a lot of times we hear folks um, having trouble selling in different success metrics to their higher-ups. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it is, is kind of working with them on change management, um, working with them to understand how to maybe communicate better and more effectively with some of their superiors, especially after you know signing some kind of enterprise license, uh, which as all three of us know is always kind of difficult when you know you're you're dealing with contracts like that. There's always questions here and there, uh, and there's always constantly having to prove the value of that money that you pay for it. So, well, I think it's speaking all around. I think it's interesting this notion of helping people with social across the board, um, even in areas where it's not necessarily related per se to to what your company does. And 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 I think that's a a point that's important to to raise. We don't talk about it probably as much as we should on the show. Is that you know it doesn't matter what the software is, whether it's yours or Jeff's or player to be named later. You know the software is a means to an end, right? You know the, the software Absolutely. does not does not make you good at social, does not put you in the social uh, success path. It's just um, you know it's like having electricity to your home. Um, it, it's kind of tough to uh, to do without electricity, you know. But but that doesn't mean just because you have electricity, you've made it. And uh, I think it's fantastic that not only uh, do do you as an organization give people access to a broader swath of of thinking as opposed to just let me help you with our product um, but it, it's also i think commendable that that you know you are not only willing to provide that kind of counsel but you are given the time to do so yeah i, I would say that i'm very fortunate in that and it's funny that you kind of bring up the the fact of it is software at the end i remember when i was first learning computers like first you know when i was i can't remember now way back in 
I don't know, middle school now, probably a little bit younger than that. Um, we were learning about these, you know, learning about computers, and the biggest thing that one of my teachers had told me was, no matter what you do, it's garbage in and garbage out. And I think that the same holds true all the way today. When you think about it, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these processes that we're setting up with folks, a lot of these questions that we're answering, a lot of them get down to the actual workflow of what they're doing. Whether and it doesn't have to even be social. It could be their email marketing. It could be, like I said, their their content strategy. A lot of it is that process. And, and like you said, Jay, software is not going to fix the problems. It helps you get to the answers and may help you find those answers. But you need to be understanding what you're putting in all along the way. So you talked a little bit about uh, your first computer classes. I'm interested in, in Nick's origin story. So how to get uh, where you are from where you were? What was uh, your path? Any interesting, uh, any interesting sidebars professionally, or was it pretty uh, straight and narrow? Oh, I have. I, I think I have one of the most fascinating stories, if, if you ask anybody. So uh, I've been a, a musician my whole life, and I started playing trumpet when I was six years old. Um, and, and always wanted to be a musician, always wanted to be a music teacher. Um, got a scholarship to go to Nazareth College to play jazz trumpet. Um, and throughout that time, kind of the, the second that I got into Naz uh, and I started working as a freshman, I had two things. I had access to a Mac. I had access to round-the-clock high-speed internet, two things that I had never had before. Um, and I'd always been writing music, and I'd always been a composer for years and years. And for some reason, the second that I got into freshman college, uh, freshman year of college, I discovered that people actually got paid to write music professionally for other people that didn't have to do with going and playing in a band or being a big rock star. So these were things that I hadn't really known about before. I was always a, you know, I was always a band geek. I was always a music kid, just just playing, and, and I played everywhere as a kid, I, like anything, any festival that I could. Um, and so I started to write music using GarageBand and you know, then signing up for all these forums and message boards to learn how to make music better on the computer, to find the free audio plugins to download. And I got pretty good at it pretty fast. And all of a sudden, I started finding classifieds and online forums. You know, one of the big forums was Mandy.com for like the film and entertainment industry. And I started to get gigs writing and doing commercials for people. Um, one record label, they had me, you know, fix the audio tracks of a song. Um, they had me fix the audio tracks of a song so you could like stretch and skew the different audio sounds, and you, you know, you can make one of the stems sound longer than the other. And it was a record label remix contest, um, and then that kind of grew and grew, and I eventually started to to talk with ad agencies who needed people to do music for commercials and jingles, and that's kind of when I realized that, oh my God, this is really something here, and. After I scored my first commercial with the New York Giants uh, through a family friend, and then I got another one right away with Ford Motor Company, um, I was like, "This is a real thing, and, and I can use the internet to do all this." And so I always like, you know, kind of continue to build my brand. Um, fast forward a few years, when I go to grad school, I finally decided to drop music education because I realized that all these gigs that I was doing was all through the internet, and everything was generally through social forums, you know, like the forums and message boards, but really talking to people and interacting with people on the internet. Um, and right away, I, I pretty much started tipping over and doing the same thing that I had done for a number of different artists and musicians. Um, and then that's when somebody basically gave me a book about advertising and, and just said, hey, you read a lot of commercials, you should check this out. And sure enough, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. And I went to grad school because Syracuse, I lived in Syracuse, and Syracuse University was right in my backyard. Um, and, and that was that, like pretty much all the social things that I had been doing up until that point 
Um, when I went into grad school, it felt like it was a real tip over period happening where I was kind of one of the only folks who was using Twitter pretty regularly. And this is like 2008, 2009. Um, I almost got, almost got in pretty bad trouble in grad school for using my phone. They thought I was texting, but I was tweeting. Um, all these really fun things. And so kind of that's how I've got to where I am today, so to speak. I mean, after I finished grad school, I, I was always working in ad agencies during the day and doing, uh, and doing social and early on and, and some, you know, some cool early brands I got to work with were Subway before you know, they rolled up to a large agency. So we got to do a lot of real interesting regional building. Um, and we had, you know, one of the largest Subway communities before they kind of rolled everything up to the national organization. Um, and I worked with a lot of musicians and record labels and artists as well. So I had a, a business partner who played in the NFL. His name is Thomas Jones. And uh, for a year and a half, I got to manage social media for some really big hip-hop artists and things like that. Um, and so I was always kind of building a media and entertainment brand on my own as a, a kind of a freelance and a consultant and a producer in the audio space. Um, but knowing, you know, coming from kind of a blue-collar background, a blue-collar family, um, I always wanted to work with brands, and I always wanted to have a day job, too. And I had student loans to pay. So I was kind of always doing the same thing. In the daytime, I'd work with all these great brands, and in the evening, I'd work with all these musicians. And kind of they'd have some mingle and some crossover here and there. Um, and then fast forward to today. I mean, now, like I said, I've done a lot of different things. I've launched a lot of brands and products and, and traveled all over the world with folks like Oprah and Sony PlayStation. And, you know, today now I'm just happy to be sitting in New York and getting to, like I said, talk with so many people. I think that's really what I love most about what I'm doing today is just I get to have conversations with everybody. I get to have conversations like folks like you, Jeff, and Jay. Um, and it's very, very fortunate the way that kind of my career has come. And I am, I am as pure of a digital native, I think, as one can get. You know, I came up through the Internet. It founded gave me gave me purpose it gave me direction when I was a little bit lost doing this music thing um, and since then I've really just run with it and, and have been able to do so many awesome things I mean all these other things that I've done in my life like I've always been a big reader I've always been you know a big fan of, of fooling around with Photoshop I've always been a fan of programming and, and doing light programming here and there I've always been a builder as I like to call it so I feel like what I'm doing today and what I've been doing probably for the past Three four years now, um, before you know, before I was really getting rolling into this all. Like now today, writing a lot of blogs, doing a lot of podcasts, meeting with customers, going and doing pitches, meeting with you know executives on the C-suite, meeting with executives in the music and entertainment world. Um, all the things that I'm doing today really touch on something that I've always wanted to do in a small part. And I think that I really have you know a very fulfilling life, and so I'm very happy um, in a lot of those instances today. Nowhere near hit my stride yet. Um, I, I'm far from the level that you two have achieved, but you know I am. I'm working and, and trying to get my way up there. But uh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't sell yourself short. I need to. I need to understand the Oprah name drop. I have. I have never traveled around with Oprah. So I also. I also am surprisingly bad at jazz trumpet. Yes, okay. that's true. That's true. All right. So. Um, so I'll, I'll briefly explain this uh, this author who rhymes with Shmopra. Um, so I, we, uh, when working at Livefire, we had a really awesome opportunity to go work with a television show. And um, I worked with a couple programs. I worked with the Dr. Phil show and got to go down to L.A. and hang out with the, the, the folks in the studio. Uh, but then we also worked with the Oprah Winfrey Network, and that was really interesting. And so I got to actually go and help kind of integrate the process of the campaign that we had put together with her team for a social TV experience um, at a company that I was at before. 
And it was very interesting just to, to meet the woman and, and to be in the same room. And But more even just meeting her, just that whole production, it's very uh, very high maintenance and, and very awesome. And it was a very eye-opening experience. And like I said, I love working in the media and entertainment space. It's, it's definitely in terms of the social and content space because I think there's so many great stories to tell. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I got to really spend some interesting time and meet some amazing people. Uh, I got to go to Chicago and Dallas, and in Dallas, there were some great folks. We had this, it was at this mega Baptist church type of event, and I met folks like Emmett Smith and, uh, and some, a couple other, other Stedman. Cool, like, famous NFL players. Yeah. No, no Stedman. Stedman. No Stedman. <laughs> Nobody ever meets Stedman. That's, I, I want to meet, let's have Stedman on, Jay. Okay. I think we can make that happen. We can get Stedman you're, on. You're show. our hookup. We're, we're just a degree of separation away. I think that's totally doable. Why? Why wouldn't it be, Nick? What is your favorite uh, campaign that you've ever worked on? I know you've done a lot of really cool ones. What What is your favorite sort of social activation that uh, you've been a part of? Um, I'll, I'll I'll do two for two different reasons. So the one was the first big one that I ever did was Extreme Makeover Home Edition with NASA. Um, so living in Florida, obviously you're afforded so many options to to play around with folks in the space program if you know who to talk to. And I f- it fell into my lap, basically, where Extreme Makeover is coming and doing an episode with um, the Kennedy Space Center and all the astronauts. And so I kind of was in charge of a whole event production and television team, and I worked at a great agency. And we had one side of uh, our agency working on building an entire television production event, which is Extreme Makeover, which is a, just a giant headache, um, but so rewarding. Um, and at the same time, I led the team who was kind of in charge with all the digital strategy. So we worked brought in uh, an agency developer to help develop a website and put together a lot of tabs and campaigns. It was interesting. I, it was actually one of the first uh, white label tabs, I think, of Shortstack Labs. Uh, this was many years ago in Shortstack Labs, which you guys may know as Facebook Application Builder. Uh, I was one of them. They became really popular, but we were one of their first kind of experiments, and that was really interesting. And um, so that was, I think, was was really awesome. I think I made great relationships. It was very rewarding, obviously, just the nature of the show and the people who you meet, but also just being one of the first opportunities that I had was great. Um, the second, I think, was probably the PlayStation 4 campaign that we ran in the fall um, when I worked at LifeWire. And for me, personally, um, I, I just felt like I had so much invested in it. Going back to you know a, a smaller campaign that we did with them around E3, uh, and just proving ourselves to to earn the right to actually get to build the website that they drove, you know, millions and millions of dollars of television advertisements and digital advertisements to. Um, but then just getting to be in charge of it, you know, wireframing the site, getting to design kind of the interaction and experience, um, designing and building native ads, and kind of doing a lot of that myself with a really small team, but kind of being able to be the leader for that that group of people. Uh, was awesome, just to me personally, and, and obviously um, learning things like doing media buying, which I had never really done before. I mean, I had some fundamental knowledge from school, but then you know you're asked to sign a check for a quarter of a million dollars to buy native ads, and you have no idea what you're doing. So it kind of threw you into really interesting situations, and so I'm I'm very proud of that. Um, I'm proud of that, and I think that we had great success around it as well. So. Uh, I'm proud of the team that I worked with at LiveFire. You know, we couldn't have done it without everybody having their own special skills and working tireless hours. I'm proud of PlayStation for being able to step up and do some really awesome things and being willing to recognize the community value of the PlayStation 4, what they're creating. Um, so, yeah, so those are probably my two most favorite campaigns, I would say. 
you now have been doing this for for a while and having a, a, had a chance to work with a number of uh, good sized brands. As a strategist, where do you think enterprise companies are still falling short? Where, where do they just not quite get it yet um, from a social perspective? Or, or where do we need to continue to, to make strides uh, to get everything aligned the way it should be? What, what's the biggest delta that you see day-to-day uh, working with companies? Yeah, I would say nimbleness, I would say, in my, in my opinion. The ability to, to be very flexible and to be very fluid in making decisions that may articulate a company's persona out into the media. I think that, you know, obviously a, a company has, has a ton of opportunities or an enterprise has a lot of opportunities um, to respond to people, to react, to be able to change things that, that you know, uh, the average consumer or audience member can't really change themselves. Um, and, and I think that a lot of companies are getting better at this, but really it's tough. I mean, I think it's really tough to, to be able to run up things, run up issues, run up concerns, run, up, run them up the flagpole without being able to you know, take too much time or without having 18 people be scared of making a decision. Um, so I think that the companies who are able to kind of, and not to take a page out of the, the Facebook playbook, but here, but move fast and break things, um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very impressed by the companies who are willing to take a little bit more uh, faster pace in terms of being able to kind of respond. You know, we have one client at Xbeyond who has a, a one-hour SLA, so they, they pretty much say that um, we're going to respond to anybody who, who has an issue with us as, as best as we can within one hour. I think that that's really great that they're making the strides to do that. But then they're also empowering, we're also empowering folks at that level to make decisions. And I think that that's oftentimes a, a problem. You know, like Megabus, perfect example. I was stuck on the Megabus for, you know, six hours and, and just... Got was Megabus in the new Transformers movie? Was that was that part of the Transformers? It feels like Megabus ought to be something that, you know, like a Michael Bay movie. Is that is that's not the same thing? No, Megabus is just that cheap bus that lets me go from Syracuse to New York to say hi to my parents. Okay, so it's not a Transformer. Yeah, it's Megabus, actually Megabus is more like a sci-fi. Megabus is more like a sci-fi movie, like Sharknado. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Large Mega- buses. No, that Megabus would be definitely on that second tier of horror movies where you break down on the side of the road and something just comes out of the cornfield. Nice, nice. Okay, sorry, I, I interrupted your story, but I wanted to make sure everybody no. understood where Megabus is coming from. Yeah, no, just like I said, I, I think that it's it's less about the story, but going back to the bottom line of, of being able to understand how to empower people to make change, or if, if they're not able to actually make a change, so they're able to educate and and kind of help people along. I think it's really frustrating to not be able to talk to somebody, and, and in terms of social, I think that companies always are really great at telling stories, and um, I'm a big you know fan of content marketing. I was always the kid uh, you know who would pick up hundreds of brochures whenever we do road trips. I'd stop at, at every rest stop and I'd grab all the the brochures for that region. And you know we'd take a lot of family trips from Syracuse to Florida as a kid uh, in a van. And so I pretty much would have you know bundles of 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 these brochures from state to state as you go through the different regions, always reading them. So I think that brands do a really good job, um, or they think that they do a really good job telling the stories that they need to tell. Uh, but I think now it's more about empowering the employees, empowering your customers, and giving that flexibility to to bring it down to try to help somebody kind of maintain that relationship, uh, but also just maintain a dialogue. That's the other thing is I hate when companies just like put you through to an automated uh, link or something like that, and then they stop talking to you. I think that that's really um, kind of where where we need to go more and do a lot more engagement with customers and 
you know, I think that there's some numbers out there. I, I actually, I think that I wrote up an article probably for Social Fresh that had this in there. Um, some some really ridiculously high percentage of brands who had failed to send at least like one at reply a day to other folks. And I think that that communication back to your audience and not just push messaging is super important today. No doubt. And I want to make sure that uh, next time you are you are stuck on the five hour mega bus delay, that there are appropriate Instagram videos of the experience. Yeah, it, it would probably just be me and my mom sitting in the parking lot, to be honest with you, because I, <laughs> I was smart and they were they got stuck right in Syracuse. So I'm like, eh, I'm just going to sit in the car with the air conditioning. There you go. There you go. All right. I'm going to do a couple of commercials and then we will come back uh, with Holy Social and Stat of the Week. Nick, fantastic job being the guest. We appreciate your contributions to the show, not only this week, but every single week. Thank you, my friend. Well, I love it. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, you know me, I'm, I love being on it and I was fortunate to, to have XBeyond join in and be on it, but um, I was always a fan before of you too. So excited to be on. Thank you, sir. Uh, this podcast, Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media, is brought to you by the good people at Jan Rain, the leaders in social sign-in and social profile data collection services. If you go to a website and you are presented with the option to log in via Facebook, Twitter, Google, LinkedIn, etc. In many cases, that technology is powered by the good people at Jan Rain. They've been a sponsor of the show for a long, long time, and it is amazing what that kind of technology can do for your business. Not only does it increase and improve conversion rates because it saves people a lot of typing, you just click Facebook and you're logged in as opposed to filling out a form, but then as a business owner, you then get access to all of the social data that that individual has put into Facebook or Twitter or Google+, etc., which allows you to therefore customize your marketing downstream, make it a lot more relevant uh, for your users, which increases your marketing results. Great stuff from the folks at Jan Rain. If you haven't had a chance to see a demo, get familiar with the technology. It is pretty slick. Take a look at that at janrain.com, J-A-N-R-A-I-N, Jan, like Jan Brady, rain, like coming out of the sky, janrain.com. This podcast is also brought to you by the good people at Cision. Cision is the leading provider of software services and tools to the public relations industry. Just did a whole series of videos with uh, with Cision in Chicago uh, when I was there a few weeks ago. Look for those uh, pretty soon, a bunch of interviews and stuff. Um, if you need to know who the key media is in your industry, the influencers in your industry, uh, you can certainly use Cision. Lots and lots of companies use Cision, including many, many public relations firms. Great stuff. They have a free uh, sheet, free uh, kind of white paper that you can download that helps you understand how to amplify your content. Really important now. We're all making content, but if nobody knows that content exists, kind of what's the point? Cision has some really interesting content amplification services, and uh, this white paper will give you some great tips, not only about their product, but uh, amplification in general. You can download that now. It's called Six tips to help amplify your content. It's free from Cision, and you can get that at bit.ly slash amplify Cision. That's bit.ly slash amplify Cision, and that is all lower case. Okay, Jeff, are you ready for the social media number of the week? I am indeed, and uh I feel like we have to come back to this number because uh, it raised a big hubbub while you were uh, traipsing around Europe putting regular gas into diesel engines. Um, and the number is 700,000. 
Does that happen to ring a bell with either of you? 700,000. Was that the number of people included in the Facebook uh, psychological test? Bing, 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 bing. Wow, Chad, how about that? That was not... That was really good. That was not planned, ladies and gentlemen. That was not planned. Look at how sharp he is. Coming off a vacation. Rested and rested and fired up, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so that was the number of folks that... um, that uh, Facebook, um, you know, manipulated the news feeds of uh, to see how it would affect them emotionally. And um, you guys may have read even more in depth about this than I have. I've been, you know, skimming the articles as they come through. But I, I'm in, I'm very intrigued by this on a number of, of uh, angles. Um, first of all is the difference between uh, manipulating the news feed for research purposes versus A-B testing for performance improvement. And the other one is the nature of Sheryl Sandberg's um, uh, apology, if you will, uh, that that she gave to the media uh, right before the 4th of July holiday. And her her quote was, this is part of ongoing uh, research companies do to test different products, uh, but our uh, intentions were poorly communicated and for that communication, we apologize. So it's kind of an apology that's a non-apology, right? We're not apologizing that we did it. We're apologizing for the way we communicated it. Um, and I wanted to just get your thoughts on, you know, what you've read, if, you know, what different facts you think add color to the story, because it obviously picked up a lot of dust, and now we have a little bit of distance from it. We can reflect on it a little bit differently. I have read quite a bit uh, about it, and I have two two schools of thought here. First is that, yeah, I completely agree with people who say, you know what, companies do this all the time. We just don't know about it. And and that is true. Uh, many people have said, look, you know, are you doing A-B testing on your site? That's the same thing. And, and I guess by the letter of the law, that is true. But when you are purposefully doing so to try and solicit or suppress uh, an emotional response with people, I feel like that crosses the line uh, just a little bit. But I, personally, I don't want to debate the the letter of the law here because I don't think that's important. What, what I think is important is that Facebook has, once again, um, sort of frittered away what is their most important commodity, which is trust. Uh, as I said in the immediate aftermath of this announcement, I said it, uh, I think, on Tom Webster's original post on Facebook, I said, what will eventually bring down Facebook, if anything, someday, uh, is this kind of stuff. It's not, it won't be technology or or other disruption, or it won't be a competitor. What will eventually bring down Facebook, if if they are ever brought down, is this kind of, of over reaching and and not fully appreciating how much their entire business model relies on the collective trust of their users. So uh, I I think that is the the real revelation, that there is a line that people do not want to be crossed. Uh, They did not handle it well, uh, as is typically the case with Facebook in these kind of scenarios. Um, So to me, it doesn't really matter whether it was within terms of service or within other the, the, the purview of what other companies do. Uh, I think a lot of people felt like they were uh, betrayed, and, and that's what really matters. I think that it was really interesting, personally, just to understand that this went so far as to being published, like your standard journals would be published like any, time, any type of 
standardized report. I thought that that was interesting um, that it just got announced like that. I don't think that you hear, um, often you don't hear of social networks doing those things. I don't think I've ever heard of a MySpace you know, sanctioned report or, or psychological report. So I think that the fact that they took it to the journal level was the most interesting fact about it to me. I, I guess I don't mind that much. You sign the terms of services. Um, but like I said, I was just surprised that it got that far and in its documentation personally. Jeff, what's your take? What, what was what was your take? That there's, yeah, I, I I just think there are some some definite command and control issues with the way that Facebook thinks about its customers. And um, I believe Mark Zuckerberg and 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 uh, some others came out um, in the in the week that followed and talked about how they want to change the culture from talking about users right to talking about uh, people and talking about their customers and humanize it. And I think that's the that's the predicament they're in is that they they don't always um, think about the the humanity of the folks involved um, because they're so focused on you know features and functionality and and delivering uh, the high quality experience that they want to deliver. And if you if you're focused on that and you forget about the people that are involved, it's very easy to uh, do very ham-handed kind of things. Um, and this uh, very much is is one of those because for this type of you know emotional adjustment, you really do need kind of an opt-in uh, of those folks that's a little bit mo more overt than your T's and C's that you click through uh, the first time you sign up for the service and get adjusted, you know, occasionally. And I couldn't agree with you more, um, you know, Jay. I think for all of cloud computing, you know, um, trust is number one for everybody because if you violate that trust, um, it, it erodes your brand and your ability to do business over time. People will take their conversations elsewhere um, and therein lies the the challenge but I will I will say this there was another interesting survey that came out talking about the top social media channels that teens are using and the number one channel that they use is texting uh, and I think aggregated into that are all of the <clears throat> all the whatsapp and those types of, uh, of uh, texting services as well but the, the true social network that is number one uh, was Facebook and number two was Instagram. And so even in teens, when we hear there's erosion in teen usage, we have to remember that Facebook and its spawn or its acquisitions are still right there at the top of the list. And so it, will, it would take a pretty seismic uh, kind of incident that generated a heck of a lot more publicity, negative publicity than this to to shake it to the roots, but I think Jay, you're onto something in that it, it might not be a big incident. It's just a death of a thousand cuts over a period of time, and that's what they have to be concerned about. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if anything um, longstanding comes out of this. I, I tend to think no, uh, but but the fact that they even acknowledged it and and sort of apologized and recanted uh, at all, I think, is uh, an, an interesting development. It's something you don't see from them very often. Agreed. Agreed. 
Okay, Nick, we're going to come to you for a holy social, but first I want to remind everybody that this podcast is brought to you by the good people at Exact Target, a world leader in interactive marketing software and a division of salesforce.com. We've been talking about social media today, as we always do here in the Social Pros Podcast. Exact Target has a fantastic new free download called Five Steps to Effective Social Media. Who doesn't want that? I do. Uh, Measuring your initiatives in social is, of course, important to understanding their performance, uh, but sometimes measurement can be difficult. This new free guide from the good people at Exact Target will help you create strong measurement objectives, save money training employees by using social media tools, and help you determine which social media channels are best suited to boost your own bottom line. You can download that right now for free, ladies and gentlemen, at bit.ly slash effective social. That's bit.ly slash effective social, all lower case. And of course, Social Pros is brought to you by Xbeyond. That's Nick's company. They have a centralized platform that empowers global brands and agencies and media companies and retailers to manage their robust, complex social social marketing efforts. We've been talking about Nick today. He's uh, their head of client strategy. So if you uh, if you work with Xbeyond, you also get to work with the fabulous Nick Cicero, who will regale you with stories from Oprah uh, on a five-hour bus delay from uh, upstate New York, among other things. So I think that's <laughs> worth, um, I don't know what that's worth in an actual contract on an annual basis, but you know it's worth something for sure. I can't put a, a real dollar amount on it, but it's worth something. So you could do worse than... Uh, than having access to Nick and uh, and his stories uh, of uh, of jazz trumpet, so XBeyond uh, is a great organization. We appreciate having them as a sponsor. If you go to xbeyond.com and just for reference, that's e x p i o n dot com, you can learn more about them. Ask for Nick; he'll take good care of you. All right, Nick, what is this week's holy social? This week's holy social comes to us from the good folks at Wendy's. Uh, last summer, I don't know if you guys remember, Wendy's came out with their pretzel buns in terms of their, their pretzel bun bacon cheeseburger. Oh, yes. Who could forget? In a sandwich. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the pretzel bun. Do you guys like pretzel buns? Just in general. I think all buns should be pretzel bun. Just as a matter, it should be like a law. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan. Especially, I'm a, I like Wendy's burgers, too, personally. But um, last summer, Wendy's did this pretzel love songs where they... And enlisted um, one Nick Lachey to sing Sweet Nothings from Twitter to their fans in real time. And since yesterday, or July 4th, I think that they started bringing back the, the pretzel bun sandwiches, they've actually re-upped the program and brought it back again. But this summer, they're using one of my favorite 90s R&B groups, Boys to Men, which is great. Um, and so basically what you can do is, is Wendy will basically be collecting these social media sweet nothings, you could call them, um, for romantic music videos uh, with different folks singing. And so Boys to Men will actually be singing your tweets if you decide to um, send them a tweet. Uh, it looks like they're going to also be doing a little bit more with, um, with the Wendy's mascot herself. So if you've watched Wendy's commercials, you'll know that they have the, the red-haired girl who is now the new Wendy. Uh, and kind of just an everyday woman working, kind of working professional as Wendy now, and kind of always there and making fun of coworkers and stuff for not eating Wendy's, uh, which is kind of funny. But it's really um, a fun campaign. Like I said, you know me. You probably know a little bit more about me by now, at least after this episode. Um, I love music, and I love music campaigns, and I think that it's really 
um, important, especially when you're looking at a little bit more younger generations, to make sure that you do bring those audio jingles inside of there. You do bring that sonic branding in. So I love to see that Wendy's is actually going out and doing a little bit more of that. And you know, they've done this before with uh, the Old Spice. They've done a lot of that real-time content creation. And down at South by Southwest, I think I saw one time Skype was reading your um, had like a town caller. Um, you know what I mean, like in the olden days where they had the town crier or the square kind of reading things off, and uh, I think Skype was reading your tweets or something like that. Um, so these have always been really fun to have people, and, and you know the Dallas Cowboys are getting some some love right now for reading mean tweets, which I think has been uh, a Jimmy Fallon staple for for uh, or a Jimmy Kimmel staple before. Um, so just kind of breaking down that, and this sounds silly, but breaking down that fourth wall of the computer screen when you're engaging with people through social uh, and letting them know that the responses that, and the messages that they're actually receiving are actually being read. So I can't wait to see some of these videos that come out, and I can't wait to see how Boyz II Men sings. Uh, I know they've been doing a little bit of a reunion tour, <laughs> but um, we'll see. Okay, Nick, your assignment because, you know, you've got all this media background and what have you. Your assignment is to find a way to get boys to men to sing some sort of social prose tweet. And if we can make that happen, uh, then then we really uh, we've really reached the uh, the pinnacle of our collective careers. I think, I think so. I th I'm going to have to think about it this morning. But actually, I am already looking at their tweets right now and started composing a few myself. There you go. So, That's what, nicely done. Nicely done. I love it. Uh, I think what we could do is have people um, leave us an iTunes review about the show, and then next week, uh, Jeff will sing it in his radio DJ voice, uh, and then Nick will accompany it with some soft jazz trumpet. Absolutely. The best review in the next week that we like uh, on, on Social Pros, go to iTunes. Jeff will sing it, and Nick will accompany it with uh, live jazz trumpet here on the show. I feel like Jeff is the Robert Goulet of the social program. <laughs> We're going to have to have I, I Jeff. Feel like, I feel like. <laughs> Stop staring at me. The, pro the problem with that is that uh, for our younger uh, listeners, they're going to like, who's Robert Goulet? So we're going to have to have uh, our fantastic managing editor, Jess Ostroff, will have to uh, find some sort of Robert Goulet clip to embed in the show notes uh, for people who are not uh, clued in on that. But that's a damn good reference. Uh, speaking of uh, future shows, our next show is with um, uh, Bob Norp uh, of the fantastic uh, podcast, The Beancast, and the Cool Beans Group. He also does some uh, work with uh, Joseph Jaffe's uh, Evolution, so that'll be the next show. But before we wrap up this show, we've got to turn our uh, lens back on Nick and ask him the two big questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Question number one, what advice do you have for people looking to become a social pro? Um, my advice is work harder. And I, I think that you need to work harder than everybody else out there uh, if you want to succeed. Don't rely on anybody to do anything for you. Certainly be an awesome team player and be able to work with folks. Um, but in this world of shifting technologies where everything changes almost by the second and you have to update, you can't rely on other people potentially knowing the same as you. So I, I try to tell everybody who comes in, work really hard, consume as much information as you can, and be able to kind of do as many different things as you can and kind of be a jack of all trades while still finding um, your specialization. Uh, and I think that that will really allow people you know, to get ahead. And personally, I just think that hard work will be anything. 
Boy, I wish it was more complicated than that, but sometimes that is exactly what is required. I don't know a single person who was quote unquote good at social media or or well known in this industry uh, who isn't a tireless worker. That is uh, a, a tie that binds, no doubt about it. Second, last question for our friend Nick Cicero, who is the director of client strategy at XBI. Nick, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and I think that a couple of weeks ago somebody mentioned Ray Kurzweil. I think that maybe that was Chad from Walmart. From Walmart, I yeah, I think, I think, I think I that's that, right. Yeah, I, and I think that that was a really good one. Uh, I always wanted to meet him. But I'm going to go back to my jazz roots here, and I want to say Wynton Marsalis. And, you know, Wynton Marsalis is kind of the, the, the jazz ombudsman, so to speak, of jazz history these days. Um, he's kind of publicly been give you know passed the torch of being you know carrying on the legacy and the stories of jazz uh, for probably about the past 20 years or so um, and aside from having just an awesome voice like I could just sit and listen to him talk for hours you know he's got that New Orleans growl to his voice um, but you know he's been around a lot of things and, and, and his family he comes from a very musical family that that's very old that, that saw a lot of the uh, the New Orleans roots of jazz move and migrate their way all the way up um, and now today, honestly, the things that he's doing by leading the arts, uh, the kind of leading the program at the Jazz at Lincoln Center, um, they've broken into a lot of new media and social media, um, you know, doing a lot of live concerts, free concerts, live streaming concerts, uh, interesting content and in social, very accessible. Winton himself publishes a lot of content on his Facebook page. Um, like I said, I follow a lot of jazz accounts on Facebook, and I always see his, you know, no reach decline for Winton because his stuff is always up at the top of my feed. Uh, and so, yeah, I would love to love to have a Skype call with him, and I think that we could probably try and make that happen. So, yeah, let's get him on the show. That would be really I think amazing. We try and get him on the show. I was just thinking about that as I was saying that. I think that we can make that happen. That would be very, very cool. Let's try and make that happen. Gentlemen, it is fantastic to be back with you. Thanks again for holding down the fort uh, during my vacation, Nick. So great to uh, have you as the guest. Jeff, I know we've got a couple of shows, and then you're on your vacation, the big uh, family reunion in New England. That's going to be exciting for you. Indeed. Looking forward to it. Uh, very, very offline. Yeah, going to the woods, baby, doing a little thorough action. Uh, we will talk to everybody next week on uh, the, the next show with uh, with Bob Norp. Uh, until then, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. On behalf of Jeff Roars and Nick Cicero, thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company. <laughs>